Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. And welcome to the Common Bridge. And Rich, I know that I put this in front of you every now and then, and we're going to do it again. It's quick takes. You and I haven't talked like this in a while, and there's a lot of subjects out there. And hopefully you can enlighten us on how you feel about a lot of this stuff. So I'm going to start at the top. Top of what? What top? What <laughs> there's a bunch of it, right? I mean, I like, mean, this sounds like a long list or something. So what, what exactly <laughs> are you talking about? I'm just looking at the news of today and I'm going to start with uh, the Royals. Let's start with the Royals. That's been dominating the news, the, the, the Megan and Harry uh, interview and the impact. What do you think? I, I have to tell you, I have never paid any attention to the Royals. I pay more attention to the Kansas City Royals okay, <laughs> over the years, but I have no clue who half the players are. I, it really doesn't affect my life. And so I have nothing to say. I don't know anything about it. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> well, that's just, that's just if, if I If I need to care about this, I'm going to have to. Find some way. Just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't. Never have. Okay. Okay. We haven't talked since Trump was at CPAC. And that was last weekend. Any thoughts on that? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, first of all, it, it comes in complete with like a, a golden idol icon of Donald <laughs> Trump in Uncle Sam red, white, and blue tailcoats. Hideous, disconnected, disjointed. I don't know who did that or who financed it. It might have been John Barron or someone that did that. <laughs> Look, Donald Trump as a person, his phenomena is fading. He, he doesn't know that. The show was on. The show's over. He forgot that he got into the presidency, not because people said, hey, we want a president that acts like that, but you know, we don't want Hillary Clinton to be the president. I think he converted that into thinking it's him and all about him, but he's not bringing anybody new into the tent. Do you think he's going to be an impact or it's going to be an issue uh, on the in Republican primaries across the country? He's still going to be the issue in the primaries, not the general. No, there's three parties that need to let Donald Trump go. Okay. They're the Republicans, the Democratic Party, and the news media. They've all gone to town on Trump to their own purposes, and it's over. Let's move on. He's had his 15 minutes, and let's go on from here. I don't know what good can come out of it. He had his chance. He had chance after chance. And, and I thought he did a lot of things right policy-wise, and clearly getting the vaccines out was something that was extraordinary. People knew what it really takes to get a vaccine out. Mm -hmm. um, but his handling of the crisis, just the messaging was so bad that we just need to move on from this guy. Yeah. Hey, I'm wondering, last night, President Biden gave his first speech. I thought it was a layup for him if he would have at least, and he didn't have to mention Trump, but he could have said, you know, thanks to all of the scientists, all the research and everything that went in last year to bring these vaccines to bear. I thought that was a layup. It wouldn't hurt anybody. It just would have helped them. Yeah, it's unfortunately, he's still somewhat beholden to his base and particularly the left wing of the party and that very rabid anti-Trump group that 
you know, you think about what the Biden campaign was about. It was, we're not going to be Donald Trump. Okay, check that box. And he was going to do something mysterious about the pandemic. He also said that he wanted to unify. And I thought that when he got into talking about the nuts and bolts of what they're going to do in this next wave, he came across like a chief executive, like somebody that's thought through something, that there's actually a plan, not just words and rhetoric. But in terms of the broader items, which high on the list would be unifying the country, had he been more truthful and said, look, when we got this, we didn't know what to do. And a number of things were tried. But thankfully, the prior administration got the vaccine development right. And December 20th, we've got the first two emergency use authorizations out. And before I got inaugurated, we had made you know a, a little tiny dent in the vaccination distribution, 8%, to what just wasn't that much time. And now we've advanced it to this level, and here's where we go from here. And where he could have really been truthful would have been to say, and you know something, we took a page from the playbook of the prior administration, and now we're going to have J&J and Merck working together to produce more vaccines. Had he done that, he would have given the country the assurance that there is an idea and a plan moving forward. He also would have given credit where credit's due and maybe bring some of the Trump supporters under the umbrella or into the tent. Other things he does, as you know, it rankles me to hear it's a red state or a blue state. And I just wonder how many people in America wake up and go, I'm in a blue state. I'm in a red state. I it's That is just a shorthand that media and partisans have applied. It's oversimplification. It can't lead any place good. And I really don't like hearing our president talk like that. So that troubled me. And then when he said, well, we're going to let you know what you can and cannot do. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think if you go back and you read, there's some things about these truths are self-evident and that powers don't come from governments. And these are prepared remarks that have theoretically been vetted. And and that was a bit of of a red flag. I thought so too. The White House was saying a couple of times in the last couple of days, how much time that the president was taking by himself to, uh, to go through line by line in that speech to really make it come from his heart. And I think he missed on that one. I think you're right. Yeah. But overall, I think America breathed a sigh of relief. It was not about Joe Biden. It was about the pandemic and where we are and where we go forward. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a welcome relief. And again, back to the earlier thing we were talking about, just let Trump go. Who cares? It's over. And, you know, there's the revenge seekers and whatever, and that'll play out. Yeah. Let me go back a couple of weeks. I wanted to ask you about the power outages in Texas. That was kind of a big deal and what, what Cruz ended up doing and everything. Um, I think maybe the governor of Texas tried to make it better the last few days. Um, what are your thoughts about that whole fiasco? Well, a couple things on that. So first of all, our two largest states by population, California and Texas, mm-hmm. both are not able to deliver reliable power to their own citizens. And we're looking at two very different governing philosophies, two different parties, and both get a fail. 
you know, rolling blackouts all throughout California and literally no end in sight and an expectation that it's going to get worse, pivoting around a certain set of beliefs and and a broader ideology. And then in Texas, really the antithesis of California, you have citizens that didn't have heat, light, power, water for days when temperatures were dropping dangerously into the lower 20s. And the shame about that is that Governor Abbott in Texas' first response was, I'm going to blame my political opponents. And that just speaks to the bigger problem that we're trying to address on the Common Bridge. He didn't talk about policies. He didn't talk about where we went wrong. He didn't say, you know, maybe we don't need to give your average residential consumer 200 choices about who they buy their natural gas from. He's like, yeah, I know how I can sidestep this. I'll blame my political opponents. Hopefully we'll get to talk about New York, but Governor Cuomo did the same thing. I didn't want to be truthful with health data and the results of my policies because my political opponents might use them. We'll get back to that in a minute, Rich. I, I want to cover some things that are a little Oh, you bit- mentioned, by the way, Ted Cruz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, bonehead play. <laughs> it, it, look, Cruz is not the only one here. He's got a lot more of it, but- Look, the mayor of Austin, Texas, was telling people they need to stay inside and not travel, and he's broadcasting from Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. Yeah, that didn't Uh, get a lot of coverage. You're right. Right. The mayor of Denver tells people, don't be traveling, don't be gathering with your families at Thanksgiving, and then gets on a plane to go visit his family. (laughs) Uh, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, locks down California, and then he's at the French Laundry with lobbyists indoors for a long dinner. So all of them, and Cruz in particular, this is just lack of leadership. And part of leadership is that you don't ask your people that you're entrusted with their well-being to do things that you won't do yourself. It has to be some kind of privileged, unaccountable mindset that someone would look at this and go, yeah, that's okay. You know, I'm I'm going to take my family to Mexico while my constituents are literally at risk for their lives. That's right. Because That's they don't right. have basic services. That's right. There's a variation it's, on that theme out of Chicago. Last week, the head of the teachers union was, you know, uh, doing a press conference, I believe, about how his teachers are not going to go back in the classroom until everybody's um, vaccinated. They're working hard, blah, blah, blah. And he was doing that from Puerto Rico. <laughs> and this is, again, Brian... The Common Bridge was started because we said the Republicans aren't getting the job done. The Democrats aren't getting the job done. We do not have a decent media anymore. We have this sports-oriented challenge, my team versus your team. And who's the suckers in this? Because I'd like to point out with all this noise and all this activity and all this smoke, guess what? We don't have an answer for health care. We don't have an answer for immigration. We don't have an answer for firearms. We don't have an answer for income inequality. We don't have an answer for student debt. Okay, We don't have an answer for infrastructure. We don't have an answer comprehensive for climate change. While all this noise is going on, the real work is being overlooked And it will continue to be overlooked as long as we, as Americans, keep consuming it. When we stop consuming it and demanding better 
behavior and better service, we'll get it. I'm going to throw a little more fire on that flame then. And uh, you can, good thing we're in different states. You wouldn't take a swing at me. Uh, California Assembly Bill 1084. And that considers banning like uh, it, it has to do with gender equality in bathrooms and equal rights and so and so, which I think the spirit of it's fantastic. Going to separate yeah. boys and girls sections and things like that. But there are some inherent problems with it. Um, do you th- think that we're we're kind of muddying that message up? Are we, are we going about a, a policy solution incorrectly? First of all, it comes down to this is where you're spending your time. That's your most important thing. I mean, when we have P.B. Le Pew running rampant on our comic pages, you want to like deal with what's in an apartment store. Um, the, the Look, we just celebrated International Women's Day for lots of good reasons. And you know, I'm very proud of my sisters, my daughters, the, the women that have been in my employ and, and such, and, uh, and that I've worked for, some of my best mentors, okay, and, and they deserve. And now we want to tell them, you're no different. We're not going to, and, and what else can we talk about? <laughs> How about something good? How about? Yeah, let's talk about Senate confirmation hearings. There's a yes. bunch of them. Have at it. Uh, Go ahead. Um, and, and look, so little fanfare that Merrick Garland got his up or down vote. It wasn't for a seat on the Supreme Court, but it was for attorney general. Uh-huh. It was 70 to 30. I'm hopeful that he will be an even-handed person in the role. I've heard nothing but good things about him, that he he is that kind of human being. But 70 to 30, like, uh-huh. there you go. There's yep. bipartisanship. But we also had, if you remember, Neera Tandon yep. withdrew her nomination to head the White House budget office because she had fallen into this trap of, I can say, hateful, vicious things as long as I'm aiming them at a Republican. Don't remember if I said this or posted it, but do people realize when they put something on social media, it lives. And if you tell somebody you're high in your own supply, there might be a time they're going to be sitting across from you saying, so you need my vote for a confirmation. But my favorite of recent weeks, Kristen Clark, who was or is an assistant attorney general candidate for the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice, her tweets bought into, ta-da, the Jesse Smollett hoax. And the hilarious thing about this, I mean, look, I remember when that story broke. It was two in the morning in Chicago, in the middle of a polar vortex, that guys wearing MAGA hats said, this is MAGA country and assaulted a guy for his race and his homosexuality, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that didn't happen. There aren't prowlers out there in the middle of a polar vortex at two o'clock in the morning. It smelled bad from the get-go. Well, the the police got there. He still had a, a noose around his neck. He knew bleach had been poured on him. How did he know that? And amazingly, he still had his phone and his tuna fish sandwich after <laughs> fighting off these thugs. But all during this, Kristen Clark is attacking the prosecutor, superintendent of the Chicago police force, uh, all who are African-American people, and defending this obvious hoax. She should be denied a seat to do anything just on, and how can I phrase this, sheer stupidity. Like, if that's the way you think the world works, you shouldn't be doing anything. Let's get to Cuomo now. That's a loaded 
everything. Uh, how do you think this has been going? And and it, it looks like he's going to have to resign at some point, right? Well, I don't know whether he'll resign. I know they've started impeachment. And as you know, I followed the COVID numbers uh, fairly closely. Mm-hmm. And I actually published the death rate a month before the CDC did. And I looked just recently, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but still the lion's share of the deaths, particularly compared to the share of population, they're coming from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And we know that those states were affected early on in the pandemic and that both Governor Cuomo and Governor Whitmer in Michigan and also in Pennsylvania, and we need to recall what Connecticut and New Jersey were doing, they were exposing elderly, frail people in nursing homes to COVID-infected people. Mm -hmm. They were giving the operators of the nursing homes free passes, and there's a connection there with the campaign donations, and they are hiding the data. And now Como's coming out and saying, well, I didn't want to release the data because I was afraid it was going to be used against me politically. It's not his data. It's not his information. It's the people of New York. And, and frankly, it's the people of the United States. And we need to know how this thing was spreading. And it was the taxpayers of the United States of America that converted the Javits Center to a hospital that wasn't used and brought the Navy ship, I think it was the Comfort, in. And so Como mishandled this. But I think his greatest surprise is that the news reporting media, they switched on him. Remember, they were lionizing this guy. He's we're going to get, give this guy an Emmy. Oh, he should be the president. And he was killing elderly people. He's been accused of inappropriate conduct with women now, and there's now more and more coming forward. Look, people had to know about this earlier. And why now? And is that cause for resignation? I'll leave that to other people to decide as that unravels. But to me, it's like, hmm, why not this really egregious handling of a public health crisis and then the cover-up? Yeah. And by the way, in the state of Michigan, much of the same contours are playing out. We have multiple people that have left high positions in the state government of Michigan, now subject to confidentiality agreements for which they were paid with taxpayer money. And they don't have a private part of their job and a public part. It's all public. And uh, Charlie LaDuff, who's a investigative journalist, uh, has brought suit against the Whitmer administration, and they're absolutely getting stonewalled. If you don't have anything to hide, let's see the data. It's public health data compiled by state agencies. What happened? And why would you think you can get away with hiding it? If you didn't have a problem, let's see it. If you think you have a problem, you're not going to be able to hide it forever. It would seem that well, Whitmer might pick up the phone and talk with Cuomo just to say, how would you have handled this differently from the beginning? I have a feeling she might be going down the same path. I don't know. But um, not if Cuomo resigns over inappropriate yeah. sexual conduct and it goes away, then there's no precedent there because as far as I know, nobody's accused Whitmer of anything like that. Yeah. But they both have to be held accountable. And again, both of them were media darlings during the time of bashing the Trump administration. And I mean, I thought that Michigan's governor just got overexposed. She got over her head. I think it took her off what was a good course that she started with. She started on a pragmatic, reasonable approach. And 
She's clearly fallen into that partisan line of thinking. And look, you can only get away with this if you think that the reporting industry is not going to call you on it. And she even said something to the effect that she likes all journalists, except for Nolan Finley, who is a conservative columnist with the Detroit News, because guess what? He's calling her on it. Yeah, yeah. So look, we need to get this stuff out and we all have an interest in it. If you messed up, come out and tell us you messed up. Tell us why, what led you to make those decisions, own up to it, and let's deal with the problem. But the cover-up and the uh, denying the public information is is an outrage, period. Finally, I want to talk about John Sarbanes. He's back in the news again from the infamous oh uh, Sarbanes-Oxley bill, which is now HR1 uh, for the People Act of 2021. This is loaded. And you know, I know we can go on all night, but what are your general thoughts about this bill, all of its impacts, good and bad? Okay. So first of all, Sarbanes was the guy that authored Sarbanes-Oxley which I, I don't know that anybody's yet been convicted under that uh, <laughs> in terms of financial management did wreak havoc in the financial markets. Right. Uh, but he is the chief sponsor of the HR1, now known as the For the People Act of 2021. It's funny you should mention all night because I was up in the middle of the night <laughs> and I was doing some reading. And so I read the bill start to finish. And I think we should post the link for anybody that wants to do that. And if you Definitely. don't mind, I'm going to refer to some of my notes. So first of all, it absolves citizens the responsibility to register to vote in federal elections. States have to automatically register everyone. And the way they get there is they scoop up basically all government records. And there's multiple restrictions on not identifying the agency that supplied the record. And as a person in data systems for a long time, that means there's no way to verify that information. Hey, we've got Brian Kruger in city A, we've got him in city B, which one's right? Well, where did they come from? Don't know. So it is right from the get-go fraught with problems. It registers 16-year-olds. Now, it doesn't permit them to vote, but if you've ever raised a 16-year-old or been a 16-year-old, or understand that the 16-year-old's brain isn't formed yet, that the emotional part's there, you know that's a problem. And what I would liken it to is this. Tobacco marketing for decades seized on that same underdeveloped brain. The tobacco companies has all been documented. Sierra Cooper, when he was Surgeon General, led a lot of this. The tobacco companies knew they were losing their customers and that they had to get them early because most people over the age of 21 don't take up smoking. Anybody you know that smokes, ask them when they started. And they they were hooked and told this was a good thing before their brains were fully formed. And as I'm reading this bill, I'm saying, oh, same thing. Before your brain's formed, we're gonna give you all this. The other thing it does is it makes same-day registration mandatory. Now there's some pluses to that, but It also, there's a a thing called an interstate cross-check to make sure someone's not going, you know, from some of the smaller states that you could go to several in a day. The interstate cross-check has to be done six months before the election. But if you can register on the day, there's literally no way to validate it. And you have to have the voter's full name, including their middle name, the last four digits of their social security number. And again, 
there's no requirement to gather that information. And as somebody that did a lot of matching of human beings in computer systems, from advertising very early in my career to extensively with, with medical records, I guarantee you, you can't precisely identify matches. So it sets a bar where matches are not going to be found and it has to be intentional. It gives states money for, again, activities to encourage the involvement of minors in election activities. It orders states to allow felons to vote. It mandates early voting. It mandates voting by mail with no form of identification to obtain an absentee ballot, but you can't ask for a signature, which actually would cement the fraud in place forever. Oh, and very interesting, it allows bundling. I'll quote from the law. It may not put a limit on how many voted and sealed absentee ballots any designated person can return to the post office, a ballot drop-off like location, tribal designated building, or election office. It would make Washington, D.C. a state. It overrides the state's prerogatives in districting for Congress. The one thing it should have done about trying to bring new technology into voting, it, it's, there's a vague reference grant, grants to advance innovations in voting. Oh, this is one of my favorites, and I kid you not. There's a subpart called the Honest Ads Act. And, and so the online platforms are basically said to be universal and powerful, but it's okay to ban people you don't like. So make up your mind. Is it universal and powerful, or is it a thing you can kick people off because it can't be both? A lot of other stuff in there. Oh, here's another one of my favorites, Restoring Subtitle A. It's called Restoring Integrity to America's Election Act. And I'm like, wait a minute, didn't we just hear that all was fine and dandy with the last election? So nothing needs Why to be restored. Why do we have to restore <laughs> integrity? And, and look, you see a lot of this stuff. A lot of the provisions are aimed at the myths, the facts, the circumstances around Trump's election, it really raises the drawbridge to keep, you know, any outsider from the political world. And we'll put the link out there. Yeah. Uh, but you can't, I mean, there should be a news reporting on this, just like with the COVID relief bill, that's almost one-tenth of the economy. And they talk about two provisions in it. it there's a lot more there, but nobody wants to touch that rail. Mm -hmm. And it's ultimately harmful to middle America. I do want to end up uh, on a on a positive note. Where are you hopeful? I mean, what, what do you see that that gives you hope? And and I saw a few things last night actually, but yeah, well, one of the things I that I am hopeful, and I'm an eternal optimist, is this: the unionization of Amazon. I'm very hopeful, and I and I say it based on this: that first of all, real blood and real sacrifice was made for working people to get rights and to, to get just compensation and to, to share. The automotive companies, that was the pinnacle. If you were in at GM or in at Ford or Fords, as we like to call it in Detroit, <laughs> right. you could think you're going to own a home. You're going to have a pension. You're going to have health care. Your kids are going to go to college. You're going to have a boat in your driveway. Is that the way Amazon, now the largest company in the world, with enough market share to provide that kind of security? I don't hear Amazon blue-collar warehouse workers saying, you know, we're really proud to work at Amazon because now we're going to have the boat in the driveway and the vacation cottage 
and a secure future and good health care. And that to me, that unionization that is getting support from across the political spectrum, I, I look at that as a, as a positive sign. I'm glad that we have a president that doesn't send out tweets in the middle of the night, Right. that doesn't yeah. pick fights. And is this our dream president? No, but I hope he's a great president. He does seem organized. He does seem to be like an executive with actual executive skills. Yep. And he's got a very difficult job. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about his health, which I think is a concern. I just hope that he's allowed to pace himself. We don't need him going, touring around the world. People can come to him. You know, we don't need him doing late night state dinners. This is a guy that's going to be effective if we don't wear him out. And again, the last thing I would say is that the, the hyper-partisans, some of them getting their comeuppance, you know, that they thought the, the news media would always be on their side. The great piece in Substack this week from Matt Taibbi, who compares the current journalistic practices in America with uh, Soviet era journalism. And remember, he lived there for, I yeah. think, 10 yeah. or 11 years. Yeah. And he said back then it was always heroes or villains. And he did not go on to say that all of a sudden some people would be a villain one day and then become heroes. John Bolton, Michael Cohen. Yeah. And that there are people that would also become, you know, pariahs based on what they might do or what they might say. So I'm hopeful that people are going to start realizing that. And I guess I'll close with this, Brian. A couple of fellows that grew up near me, one very much a independent, free market, entrepreneur, hardworking guy, very you know Republican, and another guy, the opposite side, strong union guy, skilled trades, Democrats can do no wrong. Uh, these guys go at each other on social media. And I finally said, hey, I said, guys, you realize you're on the same side? I said, as long as the Democratic Party and the Republican Party can keep us arguing with each other yeah. and not doing the issues of the day, they got us. As long as we keep consuming news media that feeds that, like we talked about on this show, they got us. So this is time to break out and ask, what's the policy solution? Not who supports it, not what the headline is, not how bad the people are that oppose it, but what's in it. It'd be a welcome change. I think we can do that. And that's what the Common Bridge is trying to do. Can we deal with the issues of the day? Can we seize the opportunities of the moment? And can we do that with good policy? And can we demand better behavior from those that we elect to serve and from those that we trust to report to us? Yep. It's great to talk to you again, Rich. It's always a pleasure, Brian. And these unstructured things are fun. <laughs> so let's see if we still have an audience. When we get yeah, we'll try. We've got a lot of good guests coming up, though. So maybe yes, it'll, be, it'll be another month. <laughs> so, um, and one little teaser, a couple of authors that highly qualified wrote a book called Nothing is Too Big to Fail. And I think this is going to, this may be a multi-part, uh, but I'm very much looking forward to that. We have an episode coming up on immigration and, and what's been done over the years. That should air in about a week. And I also want to wish a happy birthday to Mr. Richard Ryan. Uh, who recently celebrated his 90th birthday on March 5th. Mr. Ryan, I salute you, sir. Love you. And sure glad that you made it to 90 years old. This is Rich Helpy. I hope signing off on the Common Bridge, Brian. What do you think? That sounds good. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast. 
Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.